HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
There's another one. So that was Stay on the Farm, Boys, which was a 1926 song from the Grange. The Grange is the patrons of husbandry. It's a fraternity of farmers that was quite strong um, in the United States of America for about a century, starting in the 1890s, and is a little bit on the decline these days. Uh, There's a Grange Hall in a lot of small towns. You've probably driven past one once upon a time in your life, and that Grange song was sung by members of the Beards. The Beards, the Conspiracy of Beards, are a San Francisco-based a cappella group, um, of which Antonio, our guest on this show, is a member. And Antonio spearheaded that reproduction of a 1926 song from a, um, a Grange book, a Grange songbook that we we got donated by the Prelinger Library um, in San Francisco, and that was their revival of that song. So. Um, this is Greenhorns Radio. I'm Severin, and this is Radio by Young Farmers for Young Farmers. We're broadcasting live from Brooklyn at Roberta's Restaurant, thanks to the Hearst Ranch. We're on Thursdays at 4 p.m., every Thursday, 4 p.m., and I'm your host. Um, the Greenhorns is a small nonprofit up in the Hudson Valley, two hours north of Brooklyn, and we work to promote, recruit, and support young farmers in various ways. Our website is www.thegreenhorns.net on there you can find our blog and our wiki and various events that we're hosting or know about that are relevant for young farmers and now we're going to go and interview Antonio in California hey Antonio tell me where you are in the world I'm in uh, up or a little bit south of Half Moon Bay Half Moon Bay what? Half Moon Bay California and where did you come from? Well, um, well, I just recently was in New York visiting you on your farm, but uh, I guess I've been in San Francisco for a little while. And would you mind giving me a little introduction about the, uh, the Alamany Farm in San Francisco, California? Yeah, so um, Alamany Farm was started uh, really way back by an organization called SLUG, the San Francisco League of Urban Gardeners, um, and they started a program there to do kind of job training programs for different um, folks from all over San Francisco. They, unfortunately, the organization collapsed. And in 2005, uh, myself and a couple friends started going to the site that was the farm to see what we could do to kind of revive operations there. And um, we're now a a different organization called Alamany Farm that used to be called St. Mary's Urban Youth Farm. So it's uh, been running about four years, and we have similar job training programs for youth as well as volunteer programs and educational programs for people from the city who can come out and learn how to grow their own food. Antonio, will you mind describing the farm and its location in the city? Um, well, it's 
basically in the middle of the city. It's a little bit, it's on the southern edge of the city, but as you know, San Francisco is not very big. Um, so that's basically the middle. And uh, it's right next to about a, what, eight-lane freeway and large street conglomeration. So we have a nice little heat island effect where it allows us to grow some, probably some hotter crops than we could do normally in San Francisco. I think there's also about eight lanes of traffic right right next to the farm. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. That's. I mean, it's like there's a lot of concrete. Even though we're we're in a kind of a south facing bowl of some sort, so we have you know a flat area where we do most of our vegetable production, and then we have a pond and a windmill and a whole hillside orchard. So it's pretty unique space for in the city. Most people are like, oh, you have a farm. It's four acres. It's kind of surprising to have that much space. And but it wasn't enough space for you apparently. Tell us, tell us where you where. <laughs> well, it wasn't. It wasn't that it wasn't enough. It was that it was too. It was a different situation than I wanted at this point. I, having been been in the position of teaching others how to grow their own food and never having been actually on a farm for an extended period of time and for an entire growing season, I felt really. I felt felt a strong need to actually get out and live somewhere on a farm as opposed to the city where I have my job and my other music uh, projects and various other things that take me away from the farm and I can only end up being there about two to three days a week and that's just not really enough to really I feel like to really understand what it takes to farm. So now you're farming seven days a week? Uh, l- less than seven days a week. Officially I, uh, I work five days a week um, but since I'm the, the only other person who farms here with me is my friend Aaron, and he's technically my boss. Uh, we, there's definitely a lot of latitude because I still have a lot of um, obligations, things I have to wrap up back in the city. But luckily, we're close enough that I can, once I get a vehicle, I can be back and forth. So a lot of the reason it seems like when you were working in the city that you were really um, seeing that work in the framework of your political views and in the context of peak oil and in the context of um, urban poverty and in the context of making San Francisco more livable. Would you say that your um, values framework is shifting now that you're in a rural place, or how would you... Um, um, well, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely a, a kind of a constant back and forth I have about what the role is uh, for urban populations in, in, in you know, complete social transformation. Because <laughs> to me, clearly, that's where most people live. And, and you know, to get kind of these different cultural shifts, you have to promote these different memes in urban environments. And I think that's why urban, one of the reasons why urban farming is so important is just to get across to people that, hey, we need to be more aware of the fact that, hey, we actually need food to survive. And the way we're doing it right now cannot continue. So we better start thinking of alternative means. So in that sense, I'm really still very much in favor of urban farming and in favor of that sort of social activism. Uh, at the same time, I recognize the need for personal mental health and physical health, and, and part of me thinks that uh, having grown up in the city and been there for so long, that it just wasn't that good for me. <laughs> so. Country life is pretty nice, huh? What's that? Country life is pretty nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, God, just the... I mean, I've only been here a few weeks, and it just the pace is so different, and getting to do what I want to do every day without distraction is so different. <laughs> Um, you know, getting to just think about and deal with plants and animals all the time in an amazingly beautiful forested setting. It's definitely different than the, the 
the hustle and bustle. Yeah, and you don't worry so much about getting killed on your bicycle, probably. Sorry, I couldn't hear you. You don't worry so much about being killed on your bicycle. Uh, yes, definitely don't worry about being killed on my bicycle. Uh, I don't, almost don't worry about being killed at all, except for the other day we were pruning some 100-plus-year-old apple trees that are, are really out of shape, and I was up on a ladder and realized, hey, I don't know what's going to happen to me if I fall off this thing. Well, so, hopefully... You know, there's, there's a mix of dangers, but really, to me, it's just the mental, the mental stability as opposed to kind of feeling like you're you're constantly chasing your tail when you're in the city. You're like always got to go to the next thing and, and get a new thing done and have a new project. And it just gets a little too much. And here, you know, you're focused on, on even though, you know, even if you have a diversified vegetable operation and chickens and goats and llamas and, you know, even if you're doing a million different things, it's, it's all on the farm there. You're not thinking about a million different social opportunities and obligations and that sort of wackiness. Okay, awesome. We're going to take a small break for music, and then we're going to come back and talk to um, we're going to talk to Antonio a little bit more. Again, Antonio, are you still there? Yes. Was that Tom Waits? 
<laughs> I can barely hear, but I know that I wanted to point out that even if you're in the country, you can still listen to Tom Waits. <laughs> yeah, and I have Wi-Fi in my cabin. Um, wow, you have Wi-Fi. I had just got Wi-Fi a little bit, like an amplifier in my cabin. But yeah, I find that my radio... Like, ha, 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 I'm in the country, but I can still Google, you know, rare birds that I want to grow. <laughs> yeah, and I will have the problem of my, um, my wagon doesn't really get very good radio reception, so I'm often listening to Christian music and not... I don't really know it until the refrain, and then it's all about, you know, Jesus loves you anyway. And I'm, I like it. I like their music. I think that it's great. Anyway, so tell me a little bit more about um, your new digs and, and how the transition is, is um, well, hand handling. Just more about what, what I'm doing, what's the plan? Yeah, what's the plan, Stan? Um, well, so it's, it's on, um, I mean, it's a, it's a, a ranch that I'm sure w wishes to remain anonymous because basically it's a woman who owns the property and really likes, you know, sustainability and all the good feelings that are associated with that so she's been having uh, people farm organically on her land for I'd say about six or seven years and um, and like I said my friend Aaron has been working here for a while and is now the kind of de facto manager and it's it's sometimes it's a retreat center people come here for different events there's going to be a permaculture course in the summer and that sort of thing so we have to also accommodate other people's um, needs but for the most part what we're doing is just running running this small vegetable operation that provides food for everyone who lives here as well as we sell at the Half Moon Bay Farmer's Market. Um, Aaron does a few other things, you know, off-site. He sells uh, homemade concoction he calls Bita Ganoush, <laughs> kind of like Baba Ganoush, but with beets. And um, I'm planning on, I've already looking into talking to some restaurants in San Francisco about providing some produce to them. So for the most part, it's kind of what you would think of as a conventional a conventional small organic farm, um, only that it's not completely economically self-sufficient the way a small sustainable organic farm should be. Yeah, so let's talk about, you know, the matrix of possibilities for young farmers. Um, it definitely feels like the urban, the urban ag sector is a place where a lot of people get started, get jazzed up about permaculture or, or you know, urban farming, and then they kind of get sped out um, into wolf scenarios or into apprenticeship scenarios. Um, and then there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a grading trouble of of lack of affordable land. Could you could you you know riff off that? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, t I totally feel that. I think a lot of people because they are getting this this new meme in the city, then they're like, okay, what can I do here? And your your options are you are great. You can there's a lot of obviously now there's a lot of volunteering options, and Alamany Farm is a testament to that because we have tons of volunteers all the time who are brand new uh, in the field of urban agriculture or just gardening in general but then yeah once you get a little bit educated and you get inspired it's kind of hard to figure out your next step um, where you can actually make an impact and so after apprenticeships I think a lot of people try to find some piece of land and usually what you're stuck with is um, either if you have family members who own land or somehow have an inheritance that can buy land or you rely on kind of the the benefaction or the, the generosity of someone like the woman who owns this land who's really socially progressive and interested to have this sort of thing on their property but you're really just kind of like a, a tenant farmer or some sort of you know it's not exactly um, it's definitely not ownership and it might be a little bit short of renting because you don't really have that much control when you're when you're 
the situation is different. So I know that there's, you know, California FarmLink is trying to help, and I guess FarmLink is nat- national now, but they're trying to help hook up retiring farmers with young aspiring farmers who need land. And so I, I think that there's, there's a certain extent to which that's going to help find land for a lot of these new young farmers. But really, I mean, I think we're short of any sort of serious land reform in, in uh, the United States. We're not really going to have very many opportunities for all these new farmers. Which seems kind of unfair, seeing as that these are people who are ready to work their butts off and stick their fingers in the planet every day and um, b- burn their burn their backs out um, yeah. growing food for people. It seems slightly unfair that all the land that's close enough to the populations to get started with um, is too expensive for them to afford. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like your best strategy if you if you want to be a farmer is uh, go to school and become a doctor and work for 50 years of your life make enough money to buy some land, buy some land, and then when you're 60, retire and farm. Well, and there's actually a lot of new entrance new entrance farmers who are, you know, mid-career and have bought their land and are now getting ready to set up their infrastructure and, you know, have the capital p- to pour into um, all the capital needs that you need um, to get started. Um, but it definitely does feel like most people who are getting started in agriculture, unless they have a lot of luck and a lot of charm or preferably a combination are going to have to start yeah. out with uh, leasing land or, or being a tenant of some kind. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's, there's nothing, I mean, there's definitely something to be said that you, you can't, you know, I, I'm not a big, but I don't buy into this concept of the American dream too much, but I do think that there is an aspect to, you know, if you do actually assert yourself and you persevere and show that you are a hard worker, that you're not just uh, subscribing to the fantasy of farming, but that you actually want to do it and want to work hard for it. I think, you, you know, there are opportunities that you can get into that you can kind of prove your worth and then hopefully that means something to someone down the line but I mean clearly that the, the systems in place for you know loans to, to access farm equipment and um, to you know buy land especially somewhere like California it's just not really set up for for people who want to farm and uh, it does feel like though that the demand for the for the products of our of our labor the veggies, they do seem like they are in demand. So it does feel like we do have a leg up in some ways, um, leg up from the people in the 1970s. Comparing it to like the back to the land movement of the 60s, where, you know, I think a lot of the people who were involved in that weren't necessarily out to become farmers in an economic sense. They just wanted to escape what they saw as the destruction of, of, of the system. But I think, you know, they had somewhat of a, of a disadvantage in that no one had any idea what they were doing or why they would be doing it, whereas now there's support, uh, at least in, in the mainstream, it seems like there's support for the ideas of organic farming, um, but then there's not really support for the farmers themselves and definitely not support for the farm workers. Okay, so we're about to take a break for some music again for 30 seconds, and then I wanted to c- come back and talk about um, institutional frameworks that we're working with. About, sorry, what, I, I, I still can't hear you very well. Well, we're going to do music for 30 seconds, and then we're going to talk about institutions. All right. Well, uh, could you up the volume on my phone so I can hear you better? All right, I'll tell them during the break. Okay. thank you. <laughs> oh, we got to up the music. Well, it's Ninth and Hennepin. All the donuts have names that sound like prostitutes. And the moon's teeth marks are on the sky like a tarp thrown all over this. And the broken umbrellas like dead birds. The steam comes out of the grill like the whole goddamn town's ready to blow. 
the bricks are all scarred, jailhouse tattoos, and everyone is behaving like dogs. And horses are coming down Violin Road, and Ditch is dead on his feet. And all the rooms, they smell like diesel, and you take on the dreams of the ones who slept there. And I'm lost in the window, and I hide in the stairway, and I hang in the curtain, and I sleep in your hat. Small into a bar around here. They all start out with bad directions. And the girl behind the counter has a tattooed tear. One for every year he's away, she said. Such a crumbling beauty. Ah, there's nothing wrong with her. A hundred dollars won't fix. She has that razor sadness that only gets worse with the clang and the thunder of the Southern Pacific going by. And the clock ticks out like a dripping faucet. Till you're full of rag water, bitters, and blue ruin. And you spill out over the side to anyone who will listen. I've seen it all. I've seen it all through the yellow windows on the evening train. You heard the noise they make, but let me introduce my new Rocket 88. Yes, it's straight, just one way. Everybody likes my Rocket 88. Baby, we'll ride in style, moving all along. Smart and designed, black convertible top, and the gals don't mind. Sporting with me, riding all around town to join. Blow your horn, Raymond, blow! Antonio, are you still there? I don't have anything in my earphones. No, Hello? Hello? Am I, am I on the radio? Hello, this is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio. I'd like to thank the Hearst Ranch once again for their sponsorship of this radio project. And I'm, he- I'm joined here on the telephone by Antonio in San Francisco. Antonio, are you there? Antonio doesn't appear to be on the telephone. I'm still here. We can't hear him on the phone. This is the problem with rural living is that there's often really bad cell reception. And so it's challenging to maintain your social connections to the city when they can't reach you. And what happens if they don't reach you a few times is they stop calling. That's actually been a really awesome part of um, living rurally is that a lot of people who were frustrated in their attempts to reach me on the 
on the telephone just started emailing me. And I actually like that a lot better because then I can pace my life according to my own inclinations and not according to the whims of people in three different time zones. So it's not all bad. How's the volume doing? We're uh, reconnecting the call. Oh, we're reconnecting the call. So I'll, I'll give you a little update on what's going on on my farm this this season. It's um, Today is April 9th, and it's just been warm for the last, ooh, I don't know, not 10 days, 10 days maybe, and finally the grass is growing green, and when you're driving around, all the um, haze on top of the trees is red and pink, and there's pussy willows, and there's little buds of um, all the different kinds of buds, and there's purple buds and yellow buds, and it's it's awesome. Um, I love watching spring happen on, you know, 12 mile radius that I interact with most closely. Um, and the deer are all frolicking and so we've been busting beds basically and, um, tractoring up beautiful dark clay soil, wait, trying to, you know, wait till it gets drained out enough and then, you know, pouncing and that opportunity and, um, using a moldboard plow, which is, you know, pretty potent machine, um, and then a whole bunch of discs to um, smooth it out afterwards. Oh, we have Antonio back? Yep. Oh, look, we have Antonio back. I'll riff a little more on my farm after we talk to Antonio. <laughs> Hello, Antonio? Hello. Hello? I love hearing about plows. Ant- Antonio, can you hear me? Yep. Oh, cool. Oh, this is so wonderful. I was just talking about my farm for a second. I know, I heard about it. I oh. remember seeing all the rocks. Yeah, it's amazing. There's so much rock um, in upstate New York and water. It's very kind of mineral and, you know, headwatery. It's key to know your geology. Yeah, that's, that's not yet there, but uh, in any case, it's a valley. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about the institutions that, that, that exist in the Bay Area that are supportive of young farmers and how, um, how much you love them and how, how useful it would be for those institutions to exist elsewhere. Uh, you mean different, the, all the different organizations that are going on? Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, I mean, definitely Bay Area is a hotbed of activity around farming and health and especially the kind of concept of food justice and getting, getting healthy food to people who don't, who can't normally afford it. So, I mean, in the East Bay, there's, as far as farming, there's city slicker farms and people's groceries, um, and spiral gardens and a bunch of other, you know, even less well-known um, decentralized home-scale gardens that are that are producing food and distributing it in the neighborhoods themselves. But there's also, you know, there's organizations that are working kind of on the on the macro. The Center for Food Safety is doing all this work around genetic engineering, and there's, you know, Roots of Change Fund that's working to try to figure out a way to leverage philanthropic money. Though clearly, it's uh, philanthropic money has um, been coming up scarce in the economic collapse of late. But, uh, but, yeah, figuring a, w- a way to use that to, to create a sustainable food system in California. But uh, I think their goal is 2030. So, I mean, there's a lot, there's clearly a lot going on, and I think what's cool about it is that if you're in, in the Bay Area and you're doing, you know, whatever it is, you're going to school, you're working, you're trying to get by, and that's hard enough considering our rents are ridiculous, you, you have all these places where you can plug in as a, as a volunteer, and that's, like, such a, you know, there's minimal, as far as obligations, you know, getting a careerist job in a nonprofit is a, is a rough place to start if you don't know really what it's all about. So it's really cool to 
have different things. You can just go out and learn how to garden, or you can go out and learn about how to affect policy, or you can go out and learn how to raise money and put that towards social change, or you can go out and work out how to organize communities. You know, there's all these different aspects of it that you can get involved with. It definitely seems like from, you know, traveling around the country making a movie about young farmers and talking to a whole bunch of different young farmers in different corners of the country that many, many of us found ourselves drawn to the coasts, um, drawn to Vermont to learn to farm, or drawn to Northern California, or, um, and then we kind of incubated and did our apprenticeships there, or got radicalized by Brooklyn or, you know, San Francisco, and then, and then kind of popped out and went, you know, went to the frontier and went, you know, went to Laserlandia or went to, you know, Kansas City or went to wherever the heck we were from or could find cheap land or were, in, were inspired to engage in, um, you know, some available resources. Uh, do you feel like there's, like, a incubator effect going on in your social world? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, for, for as far as my story is concerned, I, I mean, I definitely was, have always been somewhat of a self-motivated self-starter. But um, I took a course in, in the city uh, from an organization called the Garden for the Environment, which is pretty small. I think they're about a half an acre demonstration garden, but they do this class called the Gardening and Composting Educator Training Program. And their goal is to really pump out not only people who know how to garden, but people who know how to convey those ideas of how to do it sustainably to others. So they're really kind of creating the next generation of educators at every class. And so I took that class um, in 2005, and that really helped propel my enthusiasm into starting and, uh, you know, getting Alamany Farm going again. So that was kind of my apprenticeship program, even though it wasn't on a farm and it was in the city. But, I mean, there's something to be said, I have to say, for for actually being on in a farm environment and being kind of immersed in that. Kind of like, you know, if you're going to learn a language, yeah, you can get the Rosetta Stone, you can sit at home, you can watch the videos or listen to something, but unless you you go and immerse yourself in a country that speaks that language and just live it day to day or very consistently, it's, it seems unlikely that you're going to really grasp it and retain it the way you might otherwise. Um, so San Francisco seems like it's a place full of what I call the yummy mummies who are um, hyper food literate, you know, sensitive shoppers who are trying to, you know, go green with their purchases and feed their babies organic and, you know, do yoga and be, be smart about their impacts and it seems like San Francisco being chock-a-block full of yummy mummies is still um, not necessarily the most hospitable place when it comes to starting um, small businesses or small farms. What do you think we could, what do you think we could tell those, those women who are, um, I feel like, very potent activists, potential activists in the food system, of how they could, um, apart from buying green and, and, and shopping at the farmer's market, how could they impact the lives of young farmers? Hmm. Well, I guess for one, I'd like to, I mean, you know, the young mummies, it, it, I totally see what you're talking about. And demographically, it's, it, it, it does seem, aware, to me, when I walk down the street in San Francisco, I can see that demographic. However, not actually knowing what their buying power is, what their economic situation is, it's hard for me to say because my first instinct is to tell people who have money and the right values to start giving stuff away. You know, that it's not, it's not just about buying stuff. It's about actually letting go of some of that power that you have from your economic gain and actually give that back to someone who could do something with it. And that's not like the same thing as charity because it's not like you're saying, oh, those poor people, they, you know, need some food. It's more like 
if I can give away money to this organization that's actually going to do something to change the conditions of the city, it's, you know, if you're already into this kind of interconnected whole holistic thinking, you realize that that helps you too. So, I mean, I would say that's, that's the thing that appeals to me is like, hey, if you've got something, give it away, you know, give away part of it. There's, I was just actually told recently about uh, the, the man who took over, quote unquote, the movement in India after Gandhi went around and asked landowners to, to donate a fifth of their land that he redistributed to peasants. And I thought that was a really interesting kind of tactic to, to, to do land reform without having to go to the government to do it. Because I think right now we're in a situation where, you know, people are so jaded on what the government has done, and maybe the, you know, Obama administration's changed that a little bit, but it, it still remains that, you know, for us, we, we see someone like Vilsack come in and are immediately skeptical, and he goes and says, oh, yeah, we're going to cut subsidies to corporate agribusiness. And you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then what happens? Congress, or the people that supposedly represent us, you know, shoot it down. And I think that's something that you, that you see happening again and again, and you're like, okay, clearly that, that avenue doesn't seem to work and is, should be, you know, people should be working in that direction, but it's so frustrating. What can individuals do? I say use your wealth where you have it, you know. Well, that's a very important moment to stop and, and reflect for 30 seconds. Um, as we go to music for 30 seconds, let's reflect on the power of the citizenry to reform the government that we have. Yeah, I mean, I think... So I guess the thing that, I, that from my, my personal political perspective is that it, it's, all, it's all local. You know, that, yeah, you can email your congressperson, but that just doesn't, it's not the same thing as having 200 people go to Nancy Pelosi's office and sit in her office and say, hey, we have something to tell you. You know, I think that, that, that a lot of activism needs to go away from the Internet and away from phone calls and towards, you know, interpersonal interaction. And, you know, whether that means forming your own neighborhood councils to deal with local issues or, you know, or, or forming co-ops like, you know, all these new small farmers, how powerful would it be if we actually got together and created, you know, maybe not a, a platform of politics, but a platform of like, what do we want to see happen to support us? You know, there's different things I think we could do, but we have to start doing it in a kind of real sense, a face-to-face -face sense, uh, instead of this kind of the way politics has become, where we just let our decisions go to someone else. Awesome. Are we in music land or are we in interview land? What's that? We're, we're going to be in music land now for 30 seconds. Okay. Well, I should probably get back to work. That's fine, Antonio. You go back to work and I'll talk for the rest of the time. All right. Thank you, and I'll see you in a week or so. I love you. Bye. Bye. been so deceitful sweet songs of the night are now bitter and cruel the morning sunlight is just a reminder that I'm starting another day without you last night I Heat up. 
the morning Forsaken by love Unwanted by you This is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio. I want to thank Hirsch Ranch again for their support of this wonderful project, and to thank Antonio for calling in all the way from California for talking with me about his perspective on on the young farmer movement out there. I'm going to give you a little bit. I'm going to put my headphones on. Hello, this is Severin. Okay, it works. Um, so Antonio was talking about his project at Alamany Farm and basically he spent about four or five years working on that farm on two or three days a week and answering a lot of questions and defending his pumpkins from vandalism and um you know serving as pretty pretty potent um and iconic and really sweet um cheerleader and uh, trainer for a lot of other people who came through that that farm and now finding himself really drawn to country life and wanting to practice um farming in a farming in a farming environment as opposed to an urban environment and and really experiencing what I'm experiencing also now which is um the benefit of having a tractor store you know near you and having um people around who know how to haul things and know how to bulldoze things and know how to move irrigation and who are all part of a very um live a live and um vital agricultural economy makes farming so much easier than when you're in the city and, um, you know, none of the stores have any of the equipment that you need and you have to kind of mission around all the time. So um, Antonio is obviously perched in a very interesting place in the young farmer trajectory. Um, and I look forward to, you know, learning more about him uh, when I go out to California next week and filming him a little more for the documentary. So um, I just wanted to take a second and introduce this show a little bit better and introduce myself a little bit better and the Greenhorns um, so you get a sense of what this is and where we're going with it. Um, my name's Severin and I'm a young farmer and I'm also a filmmaker um, and director of something called the Greenhorns which is a small nonprofit based in the Hudson Valley of New York about two hours north of New York City on the Hudson River and we have a small office there where we are producing a documentary film about young farmers and have been doing that for about Oh, almost a year and a half now, traveling around and filming interviews uh, with various folks who are um, at various points along their professional trajectory in sustainable agriculture. Um, our mission as a nonprofit is to promote, recruit, and support young farmers, um, kind of culturally support them and institutionally support them as they make that transition. So a lot of our work revolves around the cultural, um, cultural support and uh, the social promotion of young farmers. Um, bringing young farmer stories into the press, 
um, creating venues of celebration and education for young farmers, urban farmers, aspiring farmers, um, rooftop farmers, um, making sure that we have the places of um, of noise and, and the places of um, cultural resonance in our society, making sure that we don't have to travel hours and hours from our little back roads uh, lives into, into the city to listen to music, making sure that the music um, can come to us and we can get to the, we can get to the music on a train or on a bike or, um, and we can meet other local young farmers near us and network with them and share CSA venues with each other. And, you know, I can sell my meat at your CSA and you can sell your pies at her CSA and um, we can share tractor equipment and we can share, um, you know, we can share knowledge about which kinds of land opportunities are available that we know about or um, which farmers markets managers are, um, you know, not so uptight that they let you share their tables, that kind of stuff. So the connectivity of the young farming community and the, of the farming community in general, but particularly of the um, Craigslist generation uh, young farming community um, is a pretty is a pretty important and, and pretty potent um, wedge um, if we're looking at if we're looking at reforming the food system in America and reforming pretty much all of the systems in America um, food and transportation are among the most powerful wedges for reconstituting um, and retrofitting our social matrix so bringing the bringing the perspective of the public to that place so that they recognize that farming is a, a valuable valiant and 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 dignified profession to engage in one that is in fact um, meritous and that it really makes sense for young ambitious entrepreneurial people to get involved in agriculture. Um, that's a step that we really need to take in this country because quite frankly at the moment it's really shocking to most parents to hear that their kids want to become farmers. Um, my parents were definitely shocked for the first about six years of me wanting to be a farmer and, and doing apprenticeships and we're just kind of hoping really hard that it was a phase um, and that's that's a hope that a lot of um, farmers' parents have that this is some kind of strange agricultural outdoor phase that their kids have to go through. But in fact, we as a nation really require that many, many, many young people feel this um, feel this surge in their hearts that they that we get. We get this surge when we're outside and with the birds and with seeds and um, are in this platform of um, of nature and are able to from that platform produce food that other people are excited to eat i mean it's like a pretty powerful place to be in the world so as many people as get exhilarated by that um we still have a lot to do in terms of educating the the rest of the world the rest of the eaters of the world about that um critical role that we play in uh, rebuilding the soils around our cities and reconstituting the local economies and um, repopulating the gut bacteria of the children of this nation so that they can digest the food that we want to grow. Um, do I keep going? <laughs> so anyway, my name is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio, and um, I just went on a little rampage there. I apologize. It doesn't, it doesn't take very much, and I did drink a whole beer. But um, so the Greenhorns works along, along those lines, and uh, we're making a film. We we have a wiki, um, which is www.4youngfarmers.wikispaces.com, and that those are both plurals, 4youngfarmers.wikispaces.com. And on there, we have a, a guidebook that's generated by young farmers, for young farmers. So people who 
have noticed institutions that are particularly useful to other young farmers have put them up there um, and you can search through and you can add whatever is local to you or relevant to your experience um, that's a great that's a great resource we'll be back every Thursday at 4 p.m. oh yes so this is the show this is now the Greenhorns radio show and um, apparently I'm gonna do it every Thursday at 4 p.m. And I'm, I'm excited. I have to learn a little bit more about the whole process. And um, I'm really, what I'm really thrilled about is the opportunity to announce Young Farmer events and to host a lot of young farmers on the show so that we can, you know, get to know each other, at least uh, digitally. And then, you know, hopefully in person, if, if ever we get enough funding to all be in one place at the same time, tell Obama what we think. Um, but in the meantime, there's Greenhorns Radio, and it's here at 4 p.m. every Thursday. We're going to cut to music now. You're laughing in 